Hello and welcome to our podcast, Hashtag Divorce, with Audrey Zetoun, divorce coach based in London, and myself, Sarah-Jane Taster, French family lawyer practicing in international law in England and Hong Kong. In our podcast, Hashtag Divorce, we will be bringing you hope, positivity, as well as practical information about divorce and well-being, food for thoughts, and hopefully, support to help you move forward at each and every step of the divorce process. If you would like to know more about what we do when we're not doing this podcast, you can go to our websites, tasterfamilylaw.co.uk and audreyzcoaching.com. Back to today's topic. Are you getting married this summer? You have probably planned everything, the venue, the guest list, the first dance, reception, the dress for the bride, the bridesmaid and the bachelorette party or the stag do. But what about your prenup agreement? Today, we are delighted to welcome our guest, Melanie Bataillard-Samuel, French-speaking solicitor based in London, who is going to talk to us about prenuptial and postnuptial agreement in England and Wales. Sarah Jane is on hand and she will give us the point of view of the French marriage contracts. So both of, both of you, thank you so much for shedding a light on how to approach such contracts or agreement in an international context. So if you're planning to get married to a French national or to live in England and Wales, or you're planning to live in France after your marriage, this episode is for you. Melanie, thank you so much for accepting our invitation. We are very, very pleased to have you today. Maybe you can start by introducing yourself and telling us about your firm. Sure. Hi, Audrey. Hi, Sarah Jane. Thank you so much for inviting me. So exciting to do a podcast. Um, so my name is Melanie. I am a, a French speaking English solicitor and I work out of London. My firm is called MBS Family Law. I originally, I started doing just normal English law to English clients. And then with time, because I'm a French national and I speak French, I started getting a lot of French speakers that wanted advice on English law and French. And now my practice is primarily French speakers needing advice on English family law. So it's it's weird, but it, it's fun. It works and it's nice. And it means I meet people like you. That's brilliant. Thank you, Melanie. Yes, indeed. You're French national, but you used to work a lot in English most yes, of the time. Exactly, and now exactly. More and more with French people. So today's topic is more generally about choosing the best contracts when you have interest in France and England always. Uh, Melanie, uh, maybe... You can first explain what is a prenup in England or what does it consist of? So um, there's, a, there's a difference between prenuptial and postnuptial agreements and French marriage contracts. Mm -hmm. I think a prenup in England is a document you would complete, which would show an intention of how you would want to separate your belongings or your assets or how you would want to support the other party if you were to divorce. Unlike what you hear in the press about what happens in America, where pre- and post-nuptial agreements are set in stone or marriage contracts in Europe that are very much 100% enforceable, prenuptial agreements don't yet have that importance in English law. They are something that persuades the court maybe if they're prepared properly. And we'll talk a little bit about how they're prepared later on. But if they're prepared properly, then the court will want to give them as much importance as possible. The judge will try to enforce them if possible, but they're not 100% sure. So they are very much a document you prepare to show that you wanted this to happen. And, and you're hoping the judge will say, yes, I, I will respect that and I'll apply it if I can. 
Yeah, so it's all about the intention. Yes, very, very much <laughs> yeah. so. It's, it's a bit weird because you're you're paying a lot of money for a document that shows you intended <laughs> something to happen, but it's really important. It's because a bit a bit like a will, it shows this is what we wanted. We both thought about this and we both want this to happen if the worst were to happen. So yeah, they're, they're important to do, but they are just kind of a guidance of your intentions. And we'll see later how, how you apply them yes. uh, in, in the UK. But Sarah Jane, can you also briefly explain to us what a, a marriage contract or a contrat de mariage uh, consists in France and, and how it differs from the English uh, prenup uh, agreement? Yeah, well, it's interesting what you've just said, Melanie, because when I speak to my clients and I tell them, well, you have to pay a lot of money to do an agreement that just states your intention, basically, they're like, why would I do that? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> Whereas in France, it's because in France, culturally, marriage contracts are have already been in uh, the Code Civil, which mm -hmm. is the law that we refer to. And basically, in France, you do a marriage contract to choose the law applicable to your marriage. Both spouses choose to French law, to apply French law to their marriage, and they choose what is called a matrimonial regime, but you don't have those in England, if I'm correct. No, we definitely don't have those in England. <laughs> we are we just freestyle everything in England. <laughs> so that's one of the difficulties between working between those two jurisdictions, is that main difference. And so in France, you choose your matrimonial regime, which is usually we decide to have all our assets in common, or we decide to keep our assets separate. And based on the different regime you choose, you'll have rules that will apply to divide the assets of the couple, the matrimonial assets. And that's what a marriage contract does. It does not deal with all the other financial consequences of a divorce, unlike, um, I guess, what would happen. Yeah, a prenuptial agreement will look at things like spousal maintenance. It will look at you know how you separate inheritance. It will look at making sure it'll, it might have like different payments at different times according to how long you've been married or if you're looking at covering housing needs. It will look at a lot of different possibilities. The only thing it really can't do is to uh, write out, like it can't say you're not going to pay any child maintenance because that's something that statutory body in this country, the child maintenance service has control over. You can't tell the court, no, you can't look at that. You can't look at child maintenance. So that's the only thing you can't do anything about, but everything else you can write and you know protect or, or make plans for. Yes, so it's a lot more freestyle, as you say, Melanie. There, but yeah, very, very much. It's it's freestyling the whole way. Yeah, for Whatever sure. Whatever you want to put in it, nearly. And and actually, how do you make them? How do you make the prenup agreement in the UK? So. Yeah, there. Um, it's a long process. There are three requirements to make this document as um, sturdy as possible to give it as much weight uh, and importance in the court. One is you each have to have independent legal advice. So you'd have one person draft the agreement, send it to the other. They'd take it to a lawyer. The lawyer would advise them on the document, maybe make some changes, and then both sign it. So the first thing is you each have your own lawyers advising you on the document. The second is you have to know exactly what there is in your finances. So you have to do exchange changing of financial information. And that can be an inventory, a list, a schedule, setting out what you have, what the sums are, or it could be more detailed with, I want evidence of your bank statements and I want to know what, what something, what the value of something is, et cetera. And then you have the third one, which is really about not having duress, not forcing someone into doing something. And it's um, not having the pressure of signing the document to get married. So you have to make sure you've signed the document at least a month before your wedding date. So you don't 
you don't feel like you're being bullied into it because if you don't sign it, you're not getting married sort of thing. So you have that kind of cutoff period. So those three things are really important. If you've done those three things, you've given as much weight as possible to your prenuptial agreement. If you do a postnup, so once you're married, you then want to enter into the agreement. It's almost the same. So you have independent advice, you do the financial disclosure, and that is it. You don't have to have the deadline of it has to be done by a certain date. The really important things are really making sure you've had the advice, you know what you're getting into, and you know what there is, what you're protecting. And they carry the same amount of weight, whether it's a postnup or a prenup, the, the court will look at them in exactly the same way. And so often I say to people, do a prenup. And then as you're going along in your life, Renew it regularly. Have it have it looked at like you would will. Uh, you know, just kind of review it and turn it into a postnup. So that's how it's done in this country. Planning in advance is key. D- definitely, yeah. Yeah. have that conversation with your future spouse. Consider what you want. Have I mean, often I say to people, have you thought about how much maintenance you're going to pay if you have one child, two child, three child, or what happens if you inherit something, you know, or a business? What do you want to do if your business? Because you might want to do other stuff, you know. If you're like, I really want to protect my parents' home. I don't want it to be part of this, you know, family pot. You might need it to look at a trust or transferring it to someone else's name or or having another document, such as a waiver or a declaration of trust or something. Um, you know, there are other things you have to look at as you go along. So Yes, yeah, so you definitely. can protect. You can protect a lot of things in that agreement. You, you can try to definitely, and and it's about the intention. It's about having showing the intention, and and yes, it's important. And Sarah Jane, what's the difference in France? How is a contract contrat de mariage drawn up in France? And well, first of all, it's drawn up by a notary. It's not the solicitor, the law, the avocat. You don't usually go and see your avocat to do a mar- marriage contract in France. A notary will inform both future spouses. He will advise them on what is the uh, matrimonial regime which is the best suited for their situation at the time of the marriage. Like Melanie said, in France, it's the same. You can and you are advised to modify your uh, marriage contract in time, even after marriage. I would say every time there's something important in your personal life, a change, changing in the um, professional situation, Children, or, or simply when you, you get older, you want to, to protect your spouse rather than your children. You know, it, it, it really changes. So basically, the notary does that job to help you choose the, the matrimonial regime best suited to you. And then once he's, he's chosen it, you've chosen it, he will draft the contract, 10 pages maximum that really... Pages. <laughs> 50 to 60 pages even not more in england so yeah very different yeah, it's, it's, you know and um it usually refers to the code civil so it, it's just you know referring to rules of law and uh, you usually go and sign it the week before your, your the celebration yes. of marriage because usually you go and see well, traditionally, it was like that. You would go and see the family notary who is in the village where you're getting married. So you're not <laughs> going to go, you know, there before. You just do everything at the same time. That's what happened for me. I mean, yes, it's true. Yes, you do the week before you sign. Yes. So, so different from the UK. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. That's that's the one downfall. I have a lot of clients that come to me and say, well, I'm getting married next month in France. Can I have a post-nuptial, a prenuptial agreement? And then I'm like, this is not going to work. I'm not going to have enough time in a week to turn this this 60-page document around. This is not going to happen. And I guess oh, in the UK, you can't have post-nup. What about in France? Can you have... Uh... Like, like I said, you can, you can modify your contract. You can modify, after. yes. What I can mention is that uh, usually you, you could do it with your notary, but if you have children when you want to modify it, then you have to go 
through courts because the judge has to make sure that it doesn't infringe on the children's right rights. Mm-hmm. So that's so it's a bit more expensive if you modify it, but it's always worth it. Melanie, how are these prenups uh, agreements enforced in England? So maybe yes, the prenup and the contrat de mariage. How are they enforced? Yeah, I mean it's it's really. Um... We're a weird jurisdiction when it comes to pre- and post-nuptial agreement because of a lot of our our fellow English-speaking jurisdictions have no issues enforcing pre- or post-nuptial agreements 100% in their countries, their contracts, that's it. For us, they're not contracts. They're agreements that show intention. The courts will try, if they're done properly, to give them as much importance as possible. And if the document is going to be similar to what the judge would decide, they might apply it. But if the document isn't going to be similar if the judge decides that perhaps somebody needs more than the other person or a specific asset should be separated in a specific way that contradicts the document, the court may choose to not apply. I think gone are the days where the court, the judge would look at a prenup and just tear it up. I have seen that happen in the court. Um, The judge would, yeah, judge tore up the document and was like, we don't do this. This is a long time ago. It's like 10 years ago. But now the court will try their hardest to apply. But it really depends on, you know, how well the document is. Has it been reviewed regularly? Is it not going to prejudice one person? You know, is it leaving both parties protected with enough money? If there are kids, are the kids protected? If all that happens, the court might say, I'll apply one part, but not the other, or I'll apply all of it. I think if you're looking at really complex international documents, the court, particularly the London courts, they're going to try really hard to try to make it work because clearly a lot of money and time and effort's gone into this. So the intention is really important. But you know, you have to be really sure that these documents are done properly. Um, so when you're preparing them, you need to make sure you're not just mirroring what's happening in another country. Oh, this is what my French contract says. So this is what my English contract is going to say, because you have the problem that the court might say, this is not how we would apply the law. So we can't do this. So yeah, that's how they look at it. Yeah. So depending on the length of the marriage as well, it's good. It's, the advice is to review your contract, your agreement regularly. Re- so the judge it, can apply yeah. it. Review it when you buy or sell an asset, review it when you inherit something, review it when you have kids, review it, you know, at your five-year anniversary or 10-year anniversary. (laughs) It's not a very romantic thing to be doing, but, you know, look at it regularly, definitely. And uh, Sarah Jane, I'm going to replicate the question to you. So how are French contracts, you know, legally binding uh, in France? Yeah, if you have a marriage contract drafted by a notary and signed before a notary will be enforced by a French judge without any question. (laughs) That's just very simple. There's no question. That's brilliant. No, because like I said before, the contract only deals with the division of assets. The judge will keep a discretionary power to deal with all the rest. But with the division of assets, if the couple entered into a contract, or even if they didn't, because in France, if you don't enter into a contract, you have a matrimonial regime that will apply to you anyway. So you always know how your assets should be divided if you're in France. It gets more complicated if you you travel abroad or if you marry somebody from another jurisdiction. That's when it's really important to do a marital contract or a prenup. If I understand things correctly, when your clients have interest in both jurisdictions, they must consult a lawyer, solicitor, notary like you with knowledge of both jurisdictions. Would it, um, is it, does it sound right, Melanie? Is it what you think? Um, yeah, definitely. I would say 100%. The moment you have assets in another country or 
you have multiple nationalities in the couple, uh, definitely, or you're going to be living in different countries, definitely speak to people in those countries. And I always say, try to have a document in each country. Sarah Jane has a different view on it and she'll express her view in a minute. But my view is have that advice, speak to them, figure out how the law applies in those countries, have a conversation about what would happen if you were to separate in one or the other countries, and then have have that worked into whatever agreement you choose to prepare, whether it is multiple documents in multiple countries or, or one document which covers everything. Definitely have that advice. You need to understand how each jurisdiction is going to apply a marriage contract or a prenuptial agreement and what will be the pitfalls. So yeah, really important to have that advice. Yeah, so be informed, uh, definitely. And for yourself, for your partner, any drafting two documents? And, and Sarah Jane, well, what is your, your take on that? I agree with Melanie in in the sense that you need to be informed. Yeah. Um, that's the most important because it's not so much for the French side. It's really because in England, like you said, it's the intention mm. and the fact that the intention comes with being informed. So we have to adapt all our French documents. That's what I do with my clients. If they have interest in England, I will follow all the conditions that you've set out, the fact that they need to be uh, informed by, you know, by a separate solicitor, uh, avocat or solicitor, but they need to prove in the French documents that they respect the conditions set out in England, basically. But like you say, being informed of the way your contract may or may not be enforced in the other jurisdiction is very important because you know whether or not you're protected and to what extent you are protected. And as we both agree on the fact that it's it all depends on the couple's situation, personal yeah. situation, yeah, exactly. the assets they have. I always say if you are to inherit a chateau in France or a vineyard, you really <laughs> need to be careful. But if you don't have, you know, if you're a young couple who have no assets, you know, it, it won't be the same documents or it won't be the same time that you spend preparing a document. Yeah, uh, agreed. Thank you, Sarah Jane. So it's, the important is to be informed and uh, and understand the jurisdiction in different countries. Yeah. Thank you, ladies, for <laughs> shedding a light on the contract. So I think it, it, it's now time for you, Audrey, to tell us a bit, as as the, the divorce and relationship coach, what do you think people should do? Do you think a marriage contract or a prenup can help prevent problems in a couple? Yes, thank you, Sarah Jane. Of course, I think it is important to have a clear communication with your partner from, from the start of, you know, thinking about marriage or before, hopefully before. And having those uh, conversations about difficult topics like a prenup or a contrat de mariage, um, a marriage uh, contract is, is vital. It could uh, avoid lots of surprises, you know, unpleasant surprises in the future. So if you're going to get married, you're hoping to never get divorced. So you can't not address these issues before the marriage. Uh, what might happen during the marriage if you have other difficulties to deal with, other uh, difficult matters, you need to learn how to communicate. And it doesn't mean you don't love each other. I think that's really important to separate the emotions and the feelings you have for your partner with, with these practical uh, practical uh, things we're talking about, like a prenup or a contrat de mariage. So learning to communicate and be with a third party if you need to, you know, coaching or whoever else you feel comfortable to talk with, just to learn those tools and to communicate with your partner. It could be about anything else. If you live abroad, will you want to move back to France or to your home country? Does your partner want it as well? What's your life plan uh, about the children, about the education, about the in-laws? 
there are conversations that we don't have. And two years down the line, we're surprised. It's not at all what I expected, yeah. you know, and then it's the, that's so good for your relationship. So have those conversations and the prenup, the marriage contract is one of those conversations that you need to have. Definitely. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent behind you on this one, Audrey. Definitely. <laughs> oh, thank you. Especially when you have, you know, international couples with different cultural differences. It's it's really important to start the conversation. You assume a lot of things, and it's always good to be clear. And you know, so that's definitely one. I think we're getting to to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much, Melanie, for answering uh, our questions. It was very interesting. I really enjoyed hearing, listening to you, and have you both your point of view regarding this notion of marital contract and prenup agreement. I realize that it's not fully romantic, as we said, but nonetheless, very important and a topic to address in in your relationship. If you would like to contact Melanie, we'll put all, you'll find all her details in the podcast notes. And we forgot to mention that Melanie is also a podcast host. Oh my gosh, yes. So I, I do a podcast called Family Law and Lattes, and it is a podcast which is discussing different areas of family law, different aspects. So it can be talking about uh, black letter law. In other words, what are the new changes to trust law, for example, Um, all the way to who are the people that work in family law, divorce coaches like Audrey, or it could be accountants, financial advisors. And we also discuss the new topics. So we might talk about parental alienation as a a theory. So it's really basic. I try to keep it as straightforward and as simple for junior lawyers and more senior lawyers who are afraid to say that they don't know a specific area of law. But also I find that it can be quite helpful for clients sometimes to listen to because it gives them an idea of what's going on in the family law world. It's not going to give them an answer to their problem, but it might give them a flavor of, you know, what certain things are happening, what lawyers mean when they talk about certain things. Also, I find it a lot of fun because it gives me like an an excuse to chat to people about stuff. (laughs) To kind of for half an hour (laughs) with a coffee about random areas of family law, which is, you know, great. I love it. And it's a great podcast. Yeah, I recommend your podcast because I learned so much while listening to it. And I mean, the the guests you have on it, you know, they vary so much. It's completely random. I just like, I have like the previous president of the family division all the way down to young barrister who's talking about, you know, pension reform or something. It's like, it's completely changed. It's awesome. I love it. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Melanie. It's been so long in the making, but we finally made it. Yeah, finally got there. Finally got there. (laughs) It was a pleasure. Thank you very much, Audrey. Thank you, you, Sarah Jane. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you have found this podcast useful, please share, like, and comment hashtag divorce and help spread the information around you if you think it may be useful to others. If you would like us to deal with one issue in particular, or if you would like to participate to our podcast, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram by searching Audrey Zetun or Sarah Jane Taster. It would be great to hear from you. See you soon for another episode of Hashtag Divorce.